Welcome to our seminar on parenting. Glad you're with us. Look forward to spending the morning with you and uh, learning and thinking together about what God's Word says about parenting. Uh, I'll give you just a brief word about my parenting career thus far. It's not over yet, but we're definitely in the back nine. Um, We've got four children, um, ages 20 down to almost 15 We've got uh, two kids away at college and uh, two in high school. And, and so far, by God's grace, they've turned out better than our parenting has deserved. We say that often, better than our parenting uh, deserves. Um, and we're thankful for that. Um, and certainly more credit, humanly speaking, is due to my wife than myself. Um, but, but we've both been students of parenting. Uh, I can remember maybe just a few months into marriage, and, uh, and I signed up for a class at our church on parenting by myself while my wife was in the choir, and, uh, and then I took another class on your child's profession of faith, and I remember the looks in the room, you know, these are all married couples with children, and here's this, you know, newly married without kids kid, I was 22 at the time, um, in the class, and people would think and look. What are you doing here? Well, I was getting ready for parenting. I suspected kids would come someday, if the Lord willed. And um, so I wanted to get ready for it. So I'm glad to offer you today what, we've, what, what I've learned from Scripture, what we've learned from good books, what we've learned from uh, talking to others, and what we've learned um, thus far in, in trying to raise kids. Um, I'll pray in just a bit here, but let me, um, let me give you a heads up on something. Um, let me begin with some feelings and experiences um, that you might expect or might be normal in the course of this morning. And there are five C's. So there might be conviction, um, conviction about mistakes that you've made, conviction about weaknesses or bad habits or failures or or, or just a a realization of ways that you need to improve. Hopefully there's comfort as well. And by that I mean gospel comfort. I mean the gospel covers all of our sins, um, even those that we commit against those we love most dearly, our children. Uh, So I pray that the the gospel would be comforting to you this morning as you, um, if you find conviction. Then confidence... I hope and pray that you have fresh confidence that God's ways are best, uh, that you can do what he calls you to do in faith, imperfectly, under the blood, but to his glory. Hopefully there will be some bit of correction um, that is course correction, redirection, something new to add, something to tweak, something to fix, something to stop. Um, And maybe there's hopefully commitment. If nothing else, fresh commitment or a recommitment, maybe a reinvigoration and a resolve uh, to do what you see God's word calling you to do. Now, these are, these are common and recurring feelings and experiences throughout all the parenting years. It's a cycle, right? Um, we go for a while and then we realize we've been messing up on something. We feel bad. We give it to the Lord. We pray about it. We uh, recommit to, to do better, and, uh, and we move on by God's grace. Uh, so don't be surprised by a sense of conviction or feelings of inadequacy this morning, um, and don't stay there. Move past it by God's grace. Here's an overview of the morning. You got some notes uh, on your way in, a handout that's really just for taking some notes. Uh, you'll see there as you flip through the pages, our first session's on the discipline of our children, and this will get the largest portion of our time this morning, but then we'll talk about instruction of our children, and at the end of that, or towards the end of that, Drew Hodge is going to take us uh, maybe 20 minutes or so through what family worship could look like for you, Um, and then we'll talk about the salvation of our children, um, and then we'll end with a a Q&A with me and my wife. Um, And by the way, with salvation of our children, we won't spend a lot of time on the salvation of our children 
certainly not because it's not important or it's less important, but because it's so important that we're going to do a separate seminar um, that we'll call something like Your Child's Profession of Faith. So sometime in the near future, we'll do a separate seminar on that, and we'll dig into it for uh, a few different hours. Well, let's pray together for our morning and ask the Lord's blessing. Oh, Lord, you are our Father and a perfect Father, and we thank you for that. We thank you for your amazing grace and patience. We thank you, Lord, for your instruction and clarity. We thank you, Lord, for your correction and discipline. We thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us to ourselves. Thank you for forgiveness, and we thank you, Lord, for your plan to fix us slowly but surely. We pray, Lord, you'd help us as parents in this room, perhaps some not yet parents, but in view of that, Lord, would you give us all understanding, clarity, um, resolve, diligence, comfort in the gospel where that's needed, correction and redirection where that's needed. We pray you'd be glorified, Lord, as we look to your word and we look to you, our Father, our God. We pray this through the name of your Son. Amen. Well, by the way, feel free to uh, raise your hand if you've got a sort of a, a question of quick clarification. But otherwise, if you would, let me just plow through material and, uh, and take note of your questions as they're coming up. Write them down, and then we can deal with the, the longer kind of questions um, at the end of our morning together. But, but don't hesitate to, to interrupt me if you want and to just say, wait a minute, did you mean, or something like that. Okay? So session one. Discipline. Turn, if you would, to Proverbs 22 in your Bibles. Proverbs 22. This is going to be uh, something of a springboard verse for our morning together. We'll keep coming back to it. Proverbs 22, verse 6. And someone with a loud voice, male or female, but you've got to be loud. Someone read to us Proverbs 22, verse 6. That's it. Now let me suggest five, I guess you could call them theses, that can be drawn from Proverbs 22, 6. Number one, training our children must be biblical. It must be biblical. There is a way, notice that, in Proverbs 22, 6, that our kids should go and we get the way that they should go from the Bible. I don't believe, as some Christian psychologists suggest, that the way he should go means something like the way he or she was designed to be. You know, their personality, their talents, um, their, their giftings. Well, no, I don't think that's what this means. If you're familiar with Proverbs, you know that its most fundamental message is that there are two ways you can go. There are two kinds of people in this world. There's the wise man and the, the fool. And so the way he should go, if you're familiar with that message in Proverbs, it's fairly obvious. You think of maybe Proverbs 8.20, where the, the writer of Proverbs says, I walk in the way of righteousness. Or the negative example, Proverbs 21, verse 8, the way of the guilty is crooked. So the way our kids should go is the way that God lays out in his word. It's his revealed will. It's walking and living in God's ways. And implied in that, I think, is the sufficiency of Scripture. God's word is sufficient. It's sufficient for what we need. Second Peter 1, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. God's word is light. It directs our steps. And so the way we should go and the way our kids should go and the way we should train them in the way they should go isn't really decided by us ultimately. It's not decided by the culture around us ultimately, but by God. And that's one of the 
really the f- most foundational assumptions a, a Christian parent can, can have under their belt. God's word rules. God's word trumps. God's word is ultimate. Uh, and the Bible is also sufficient then to explain the chief challenge in parenting. So that leads to number two here. Proverbs 22, verse 6, assumes a pre-existing problem. A pre-existing problem. That problem is sin. Assumed in that idea of training is, is that they're not born trained. They need training. Implied in the way they should go is that they're born not going that way. They don't come to us pre-trained. They don't come to us without any moral defect. Uh, There's an innate ignorance and an innate rebellion within our kids. Uh, Some passages on this, like Proverbs 22.15, which says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Folly, foolishness, not just silliness, but stupidness, sinfulness, is bound up in the heart of a child. Or Proverbs 29, 15. A child who gets his own way. Or maybe a little more literally, it's uh, a child left to himself. uh, Brings shame to his mother. Or Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. This is, the, this is the heart atmosphere that our kids are born into, no matter how cute they are in their little snuggly onesies, like the ones back there that I'm enjoying looking at. Um, but even those, their, parent, their, their moms would tell you, they're sinners, Right? The Minneapolis Crime Commission, back in 1927, released a boldly worded statement, even for back then. They said, every baby starts life as a little savage. He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toys, his uncle's watch... Deny him, he, deny him these, and he seethes with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were he not so helpless. He is, in fact, dirty. He has no moral, no knowledge, no skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, are born delinquent. If permitted to continue in the self-centered world of his infancy and given free reign to his impulsive actions to satisfy his wants, every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer, or a rapist. That's what we're up against, parents. That's who we're trying to, well, wrestle and manage and coach and confront. Parenting involves lots of confrontation of sin. And we do them no favors when we don't confront it or when we call it something else or when we buy into their excuses or make excuses for them. Now, it's true. No two kids are the same. Any parent with two kids knows that they're not exactly the same. They have their own traits. They have their own tendencies. They're just born that way even if they grow up in the same house and with the same kind of parenting. Some are more naturally easygoing. Some are just more difficult and and hard-headed. And there is a time to lean in to the differences of our kids and not parent them quite the same way. And, if I can also say, there is a time to be cautious of not thinking too much along the lines of, oh, that's just the way he is. Oh, he's just a wild one, that one. (laughs) Oh, he's just stubborn like his dad. Well, maybe. And maybe their sin comes out in rather unique ways, but you need to think of it as sin. 
not merely a personality trait or a phase they're going through. Mark 7 comes to mind. In Mark 7, Jesus said, it's not that which goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of a man. Out of his heart comes murder and lies and hatred. It's out of the heart. It's, it's a matter of the heart. Thirdly, training them the way they should go implies parental authority. Parental authority. Training is done with a God-given authority, and it actually should establish that biblical God-given authority. Uh, someone turn to Ephesians 6 for us and read Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, if you would. First one there, go ahead and read it. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. So there's a lot to unpack there. Let me just point out four angles to this passage. Notice that Christian parents are parents in the Lord. See that phrase? That means parents are God-given. It means they are God-representatives, in a sense. It means that their role and their authority is God-given. Notice the twofold expectation for children in Ephesians 6. It's not just obedience, but what else? Honor. Obedience and honor. Regarding obedience, notice God, through the Apostle Paul, commands kids to obey. Parents can tell kids to obey, not because they said so. They can say that if they want, but they can also say, because God said so. Because God said so. And so in our family, you know, the whiny, why? That, that wasn't allowed. If we said to do something and they said, why? That was it. Uh, that was off to the spanking closet. And we'll talk about that um, in due course here. Our kids could ask for more information uh, if we told them something to do. They could ask us for clarification. Um, and as they got older, they could even ask to appeal based on information that we may be lacking. But the whys were not allowed, certainly not the no's. Uh, that just wasn't allowed. Why? Well, because obedience and also because of honor. God calls kids not just to obey, but to honor mom and dad. And haven't you seen it before in others? I'm sure not in your house, but, but in others' houses that you've seen with their kids at times, but maybe um, a child is told to do something and he does the the absolute bare minimum as slowly as possible and with the worst body language imaginable. He's obeying on the outside barely, but surely in the inside, you know, his fist is like this in front of mom and dad. Um, well, we have to confront that. Confrontation of their sin means not only confronting their Actions That falls under the category of obedience. But also of their attitudes. That falls under the category of honor. And notice in Ephesians 6 that kids can be motivated to obey and honor mom and dad. Actually for their own good. What's the phrase that tells us that? Just go ahead and say it if, if you have it open. That it may go well with you. And Proverbs does the same kind of thing, highlighting the negative and the positive. You know, rebellion leads to all kinds of evil and violence and, and pain. And obedience doesn't lead to riches necessarily, doesn't read, lead to a perfect life necessarily, but generally speaking, there's more peace with obedience than there is with rebellion. And my observation is that kids who are under clear, happy authority are themselves happier than kids who aren't. 
don't know if you've experienced that and observed it yourself. Um, Kids left to themselves, I think, feel out of control because they are out of control. Uh, They're restlessly, they're they're restless inwardly uh, because they're restless outwardly. Or, Or you could say chaos all around them means chaos within. And we know that authority, when it's taught and known at a young age, keeps kids from much bigger trouble later on in life. Kids getting used to anti-authority is a scary thing. If kids won't obey mom and dad at five, what will they do at 14 with the teacher and 17 with the police officer? It's always good to ask yourselves, especially when you notice a new habit developing with your young one. What does that look like in 10 years or 12 years? Four-year-old fits. What does that look like at 17? Well, it probably includes jail if God doesn't do something. So hopefully this is not a a pattern developing here. Notice this last little bit in Ephesians 6, verse 4, that parents, and maybe especially dads, can get this skewed, this obedience and honor thing, and they can provoke their children to anger. That means exasperate them. What does that mean? And What causes a child to be provoked to anger or be exasperated? Well, there are almost countless examples, but here are a few. I think a, a parent could provoke a child to anger with inconsistency in their expectations and inconsistency with their discipline, perhaps with favoritism, not perceived favoritism, Not joking favoritism, but like actual literal favoritism. I like this kid better than that one. Unrealistic goals. Perfectionism. Uh, It might be very frustrating to a child if a parent confuses childishness and simple mistakes with foolishness and sin. Childishness and mistakes, like spilling your milk. Um, That might be carelessness that eventually need some confrontation and discipline, but not every time they spill their milk is it, is it sinful. Maybe physical abuse, of course, that would provoke a child to anger. Just excessive discipline, using only a loud voice all the time to make your point, that would provoke me to anger. Mom and dad maybe being on different pages or parenting differently. Um, neglect, lack of love, lack of warmth in the home, uh, lack of instruction in formation, lack of time invested in kids. All these things might provoke a child to exasperation. And now we have to be careful here that we don't say, oh, I want to avoid my kid being exasperated, so let me just give them whatever they want. Let me just make sure they're always happy. Let me make sure that they like me. Well, that's not the goal of parenting. Um, You haven't provoked your kid to anger every time he or she is angry. Um, Sometimes that's their sin and not your fault. Well, back to our list here under Proverbs 22, verse... uh, One thing it means is just obedience. And we've already talked about that, but now we need to dig in a little bit deeper on the topic. We've already established that training in the way means that there is a way, and it's found in the Bible. Training in the way means that they should go a certain way. They're not born that way, and so we've got to help them get there. Um, and we help them get there with God's authority. When... They begin to do that. When, when there are hints of them actually going God's way and honoring mom and dad, we, we call that obedience. Now, fill in the blank in your head. Obedience is what? What's your definition of it? I'd encourage you to have a definition that you and your wife agree to and that your kids know and Hopefully, they also have it tucked away in their brain, something memorizable. 
So we used to say in our home, obedience is immediately and happily unto the Lord. Uh, I recently heard um, a friend of mine tell me his little definition of obedience, and I like theirs better. He said, as they used to say, or still do, because they've got little kids, um, right away, all the way, with a happy heart. Figure out some sort of definition. You can steal those. They're not copyrighted. You can make your own up, but you can see what those are getting at. They're trying to sort of triangulate what is disobedience and what is dishonor. You see? You know, we want it to be happy, not just um, compliance. We want it to be right away, not eventually if we actually get to the number 10 as we count the warnings down. Don't do that. Um, One author used to speak of first-time obedience, which is a helpful way to think about it, but if you also think about it, it's a redundancy, isn't it? First-time obedience? Well, uh, it should be right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. Parents can and must expect and require obedience. Sometimes the battle is lost before it even ever begins because mom and dad know that their word will be ignored. Like a golfer who is sure he's going to miss this putt, sure enough, he misses the putt. And I think it's similar with kids and parenting. Parental insecurity sometimes breeds Um, the kid's insubordination, right? Mom and dad, they emit this odor of, I know you're going to conquer me. And sure enough, that is a welcome mat for your three-year-old to conquer you. It's it's like they're dogs and they have that innate sense of smell, you know, they can smell the fear almost. Well, here's what this might look like early on in parenting. Imagine this, family one has their first child and they not only apply all the safety devices to their home like electrical plugs and and locking up the chemicals, which is probably wise because, you know, kids, you don't want them to die. Um, But this family also removes every single trinket that would be within reach of a crawling, now standing up toddler. Okay? And they think they've won because that kid never touches anything he shouldn't because he can't. Family two, I think, might take a better approach to things. They also remove all the deadly and seriously dangerous things in the house. And, and yeah, they, they, they block the top of the second floor stairway so that Junior doesn't take his first step off the stairs and tumble all the way to the bottom. But there are many things around the house that are within reach of their crawling toddler, and they're using those as opportunities to teach them not to touch that. You say, well, well how do you do that? Well, if you don't know, you, you, just, you just tell them no. <laughs> you, you point to that thing, that glass thing, that you're probably willing to let get broken because they, they might disobey you. You're not omnipresent, but, but you, you, you tell them, no, you see that? That's mommy's. No, don't touch. And then you wait. And they look at you. And a showdown is ensuing. You can almost see on their shoulders a devil and an angel. And they're figuring out which one to listen to. And they're thinking about it. So they, they put their hand out. You say, no, no. And, well, they're either going to put their hand down or they're going to go for it because they just can't resist it. And and then uh, there are physical consequences. Again, we'll talk about that soon. But don't think that they can't learn no before one year old. Don't think that they can't obey not touching something at a young age. Don't think that they shouldn't be accountable for their disobedience at a young age. And don't remove opportunities for obedience and testing and correction. You're going to plow 
one of two rows more than the other. Okay? Imagine this. One row you could call obedience, another one disobedience. Your kids are going to spend plenty of time in both of these rows. But which one will they make deeper grooves in? Which one will get more familiar? Which one will, uh, how do we put it? Which one will become softer soil? Which one will have a deeper rut? And hence they'll find themselves in it more than the other. Well, parenting is a thousand opportunities to pull them out of the wrong row and to plant them and grow them and encourage them down the right one in hopes that it becomes more familiar. John Piper has an article that you want to Google and you want to get it and read it. It's called, Parents Require Obedience of Your Children. Here's just one little bit of it. It's a rebuke. To watch parents act as if they are helpless in the presence of disobedient children is pitiful. God requires that children obey because it's possible for parents to require obedience. Little children under a year old can be shown effectively what they may not touch, bite, pull, poke, spit at, spit at, or shriek about. I think that's right. Tough words, but I think for some that might be needed. Uh, if you're a young parent, like brand new to it, uh, or you don't have kids yet, Go ahead and decide now what, what your rules are going to be. They might change, but, but try not to. Try to make realistic rules now that you'll be able to stick to and not soften later on. Decide what you're going to be righteously outraged about. And don't get used to it, even two years in. Whether that's like the, the no, the protest or tempered tantrums, or, or what. Um, we're not all going to agree on the specifics of what we're going to allow and not allow, and what we're going to find outrageous in our home, and what we're um, not going to be that bothered by. But you might begin, especially if you don't have kids yet, you might begin to observe in other families. In fact, I encourage you to humbly observe in other families what seems to be working there, and what you don't want to do. Now, don't judge them when you observe what not to do. But it's okay, you know, husband and wife to get together and talk about, I like that. I don't think I want to do that. I hope that doesn't happen. Can we try to fight against that? I think that would be good and wise. And if you've been thinking, well, this is all very naive, apparently, the Kellys received kids without sin natures. Uh, the expectations here are so lofty. Well, well, the Lord did not give us um, sinless kids at all. And we haven't yet talked about the fifth thing here, last on our list. And that is consequences. Consequences. Corrective discipline or consequences should be painful But it's loving and it's needed. It's painful, but it's loving and it's needed. We get this from Hebrews 12, which quotes from Proverbs 3. Listen to this. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Or in our Ephesians 6 passage, verse 4, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So when our kids knowingly disobey, not make mistakes, not get under our skin, when they knowingly disobey, there should be consequences. What form should it take? 
Well, there is a prescribed form of corrective discipline in the Bible, and it's called the rod. So, let's look up some verses now. Let me write down some references, and if you would, just volunteer, get there, read it for us, like Proverbs 13.24. Someone turn there and read us that passage. Someone else, while that person is looking for Proverbs 13.24, someone else, look up 19.18. Someone else, find 22.15. And one more, someone else, look up 23. 13 to 14. Who has our first verse in Proverbs? Okay. Yeah, you may have heard whoever spares the rod spoils the child. It's not actually in the Bible. I think that's Abraham Lincoln. Um, this says the shocking word hate. He who spares the rod hates his son. Often you hear parents say, I I couldn't do that to them. I love them so much. Now, uh, you can't say this immediately, but eventually what you want to point out to that mom or dad is you might love yourself too much. You might not love your son or daughter enough. Whoever spares the rod or keeps back the rod hates the son, and yet whoever loves his son will be diligent to discipline him. All right, how about 1918? Who's got that one? Again, shocking language. Don't set your heart on putting him to death. It feels like spanking them is heading towards their death. It's hurting them. Well, no, to let them go on their own, by themselves, without correction, is actually putting them on a path that could lead to their literal or spiritual death. How about Proverbs twenty-two fifteen? We read the first half already. Go ahead, someone. How do we get the folly or the foolishness, the sinfulness and the waywardness and wickedness out of the heart of our kids? Well, God has a prescribed means, a rod of discipline. And how about the last one? 23 verses 13 to 14. Now, these are sobering words, and, and they deserve some, some, well, they deserve our questions, and they deserve good answers. And so let me start with some qualifications about this kind of thing. Of course, there is a thing called child abuse, and it is wicked and sinful, and no Christian parent should ever, should ever do it. And a parent should never be out of control when bringing this kind of punishment to their kids. I'm not saying that there isn't something called righteous indignation. We we can talk about that maybe at the the Q&A portion of our morning together, but, but a parent should never be out of control. We have to acknowledge as well that there is an age at which kids are probably past the age of spanking. I forgot when that was at this point, but I know... I don't think any of our kids were spanked in their teen years. Uh, at some point, it's just a little awkward, right? And I think Drew would tell us that you got spanked in your teen years, right? 16. 16. Okay, well, at least we would say maybe with boys it's a little bit later. With girls, it's <laughs> not 16. That said, I don't believe that spanking was just one archaic form of corrective discipline that, that now that we're not so barbaric, we know that there are better forms of discipline like them putting their nose in the corner. Well, guess what? There were corners 
in the days of Solomon. We didn't invent corners. It's not like Solomon just thought the spanking stick because he couldn't imagine a nose in a corner. I'm not saying it's always wrong or it's always a cop-out to have your kids stand in a corner, but, but there is one form of corrective discipline that the Bible keeps laying out for parents, and I don't think it's just historically contextualized as one possible form of discipline, and you are free to substitute that, that form that you prefer in these verses like Proverbs 13 and 19 and 22 and in 23. Is it fun? Absolutely not. Uh, that, that saying that no kid believes, but every parent has said, is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Uh, there's some truth to it. Now, you can argue with the Bible's prescription of physical correction. You might say it's nonsensical to hit little Jimmy because he hit his sister. Well, but we can actually trust God about that. We can actually trust him with his prescription. Uh, we can trust him with the results. You think of the Lord's Supper. Uh, we get together once a month as a church, and we partake of a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice. Why? Well, first and foremost, because Jesus told us to. He commands us to. And you probably wouldn't have thought of coming up with this thing of, you know, I know the, thing, the, the means by which we'll remember the Lord's death until he comes is a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice. But that's what he came up with, and that's what we're to do. And so in faith, we obey him. In faith, we go to the Lord's Supper. In faith, we partake at the table. And in faith, we take the cup, and, and we believe that God will increase our faith and grant repentance and, and unite us more to Jesus as we partake of that meal. So spanking may be a little bit like that, where you say, I don't know how this is going to work. I'm going to trust you, Lord. Or this doesn't seem to be working but I'm going to trust you, Lord. And ask any parent that has done this for a little while, just decently, not perfectly, no one would say they have, but I think they would tell you that it does work. I've seen the results, both immediate and uh, long-term. You can think of that Ephesians 6 principle, in reverse, that it may go well with you. Obey and honor that it may go well with you. Spankings are um, Ephesians 6 in reverse. See, it didn't go well for you, did it? It doesn't feel well, does it? And we often said to our kids, well, you've chosen a spanking, haven't you? They chose it. We didn't choose the spanking. Uh, we chose to obey God. And follow through when it was um, knowingly disobedient. Um, but they have chosen a spanking. Spanking is not a, not a fed up parent venting his or her wrath. It's not even punishment. If you think it's punishment, you've got a wrong view of, of spanking. It's, it's correction. It is... It is a wake-up call. It is the, if the end result of that behavior is hell and death, well, they need to snap out of it, right? You might save them from Sheol. Now, I'm not going to get into specifics this morning, and at least I guess you can ask in the Q&A time, but I'm not going to get into practical matters about what to use or how many times or how you know if it's enough or if you're doing it right. I recommend a book to you by Roy. Let's see here. Let's not mess this up. Done. Oh, I keep messing it up. Oh, all right. I'll just read it. Roy Lesson, L-E-S-S-I-N, a little book called Spanking, a Loving Discipline. It's a great FAQ at the back of the book that would really be helpful to you. And of course, it would also be good to know of a wiser, older couple in the church that you can go to and just ask for 
really practical and honest advice. Um, and you can ask them and have them say things that I don't want to say into a microphone that will go on our website. <laughs> and I'm sure you understand that, not because I'm ashamed of any of it. Uh, but before moving on, let me, let me talk about a couple of tangentially related matters. I want to say something about the tone and the tenor. So write that down, tone and tenor. I would write it up on the screen here, but I won't. I can't. The tone and tenor of the home in relation to corrective discipline. Sarah and I determined that our home would be as much as is humanly possible and by God's grace, it would, it would have an air of happiness about it and peace and joy and warmth. Again, not perfectly so, but we just decided that's going to be the atmosphere. That's going to be the air we generally breathe in our house. And then when discipline is needed, well, we wouldn't hesitate to step in and to step in firmly and to step in, if needed, sternly and decisively. But once that discipline was over, we always directed our kids back to their playing, back to whatever they were doing before. And we tried as parents as best we could with God's help, again, not perfectly, but genuinely, to return that air of love and peace and joy in the home. Um, I think discipline works best as an interruption and an exception, not as the, the exclamation point on an already angry sentence, if that makes sense, or an angry paragraph, if that makes sense. In other words, if hours of the day feel like mom and dad are angry and frustrated and the air is not peace and joy and happiness, um, well then, I don't think the discipline does what it's supposed to. You could think of Mount Zion, salvation and gospel and heaven. You can think of Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai where God gave the law and yes, the law is good, and it had its saving purposes to show us our sin. But think of how the law was revealed on Mount Sinai. God came down in smoke and fire, and it quaked, and no one could come near. Well, there's a time for a bit of Mount Sinai, in a sense, in corrective discipline with our kids. And there is a time for Mount Zion all other times. Uh, so let Zion be Zion, and let Sinai be Sinai. And I think it'll be clear in your kid's mind what's going on. I also want to say something about prayer in the gospel. So you can write those down. Prayer slash gospel in relation to spankings. Now some books on parenting recommend that you end your moment of discipline with your toddler um, with a long discussion about their sin, a representation of the gospel, and then a prayer time whereby they ask for God's forgiveness for what they have done. Well, this is just one man's wisdom, or, or opinion, I should say, uh, but I offer it to you for consideration. We very rarely did gospel, or prayer even, uh, after spankings. And here's why. Number one, I didn't want the majority, or some of my best gospel presentations to be in connection with the spanking closet. I keep referring to the spanking closet because we just always did that. We, you know, for the sake of neighbors hearing us or uh, someone seeing us, we just always went into the innermost chamber of the Kelly household for a spanking. And I didn't want, I, I didn't want my kids to equate gospel in prayer with spankings. Not that there's no gospel purposes for spankings. I could talk about that for a good while. But again, I didn't want them to overly connect the two. Another reason for it is that I didn't want to commit myself to a 15 to 20 minute event every time they needed a spanking. I think you will probably spank your kids less than you should if every single time is an unfolding of what they did, 
in an unfolding of the heart behind it, and then the spanking ritual, and then the tears, and then uh, let's talk about sin again, and let's talk about the gospel some more, and here's what the gospel is. Uh, how about you say some of this back to me, and, and then how about now we pray? I'll pray first, then, then you pray. Well, that just takes a whole lot of time, and you might need more spankings in the day than that kind of routine can, can tolerate. Uh, so what we did is we spanked, and we would hug as long as they wanted, and we shooed them off back to their playing or their work with tears drying on their face. Um, so there's that, prayer and the gospel in relation to spankings. We'll talk more about the gospel and those sorts of things with our kids later on this morning. But if before we end this session, if... if uh, if you're recognizing some shortcomings, some bits of laziness, um, remember what we started with those five C's. Conviction, don't be surprised by it. We're all, we're all fallible parents. We're all sinners. Uh, we're, we're going to actually find ourselves with conviction often um, if we're honest and we're doing some introspection from time to time. But don't forget gospel comfort. Jesus died for those sins as well. Don't forget to sort of reawaken a fresh confidence in God's ways. Trust him to go his way as his word prescribes. Make that correction as it's needed. And, and make a, a fresh commitment or resolve um, that you will... Um, more earnestly correct and discipline your children for their salvation, for the glory of God, with his authority and for his glory. Well, let me pray specifically for this issue, and then we'll take a 10-minute break, and we'll come back to some more. Oh, Lord, you know all of our hearts individually. Lord, you know where there is perhaps... Um, disagreement about these things, where there is um, disappointment, uh, where there is discouragement. Lord, we pray for encouragement. We pray for clarity in your word. We pray for resolve to do what you've called us to do. We acknowledge, Lord, that only you can affect hearts. Only you can really make change. Only you can even lead us in the kind of parenting that you want us to do. And so we find ourselves needy once again, and we ask for your help, and we pray even more so, Lord, for our kids, that you'd save them, that you'd grow them, that you'd change them, that you'd do it for your glory. Do what only you can do, and in the process, Lord, we're honored and humbled that you would use us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.